really weird messages like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> well, the good news is, is you're a nice guy, so it's not like it's going to be some psycho, you know? Oh, no, I'm I'm completely terrible outside of the podcast world. <laughs> Everyone hates me. It's It's ridiculous. They call me Dr. Jones. Got my satchel of gris in my hand. Dig me tripping up and back down to buy you. I'm the last of the best, they call me the greedy man. Got many clients come from miles around. What's up, everybody? Running down my prescription. Hello. Got medicine. Welcome. Cure all y'all's ills. To the Po' Boys Podcast. I got remedies of every description. I'm your host, Jody B. I got And I'm back with another episode for your ass. How's everybody doing out there? I'm glad to, uh, to be back. Uh, unfortunately, I'm still at a point where I'm uh, I'm going live to tape almost every week. So, I appreciate you guys waiting it out with me. You know, I'm uh, I'm trying to stay on top, but it just seems that uh, this is the only way I can make it work right now. Is to just do it as a go and fucking take care of it. So, bam. Uh, it's podcast month, so. In honor of podcast month. In honor. Anyway. I've been out rubbing elbows. Trying to make friends with some new podcasts. And uh, this is one that's been around for a while, actually. That uh, I've listened to and kind of went in and out of, you know, following. And I'm happy to have finally got a chance to sit down and speak with the the host. uh, Shane Smith. From the Now That I'm Older podcast. I have a particular affinity for it because it's the kind of shit that I like listening to. It's, you know, people talking about stories from the childhood and just crazy shit living in the country and all that kind of shit. So he was kind enough to uh, make a little time for me today. And uh, we, we sat here and we talked for like an hour and a half. We covered all kinds of topics. And uh, yeah, man. I'm just excited to be able to bring it to you. Yeah, I don't have a lot to get into, guys. I just, I wanted to get into it. I don't want to waste your time because we had a very wonderful time talking and it's long. So I guess let's go ahead and bring up the music. Let's welcome Shane from the Now That I'm Older podcast. Call me Dr. John, known as a night 
we're at this really weird part of the morning where the baby seems like he's about to wake up, but he's not quite there yet. Uh, and I'm curious if my wife is just going to yell at me or if she's going to go take care of it. <laughs> she knows the deal, though, God damn it. She knows that you're podcasting and stuff, and she just shut her mouth. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I tell my wife that all the time. I'm like, dude, if you don't shut your mouth while I'm podcasting. It's okay. So I have to ask this. I just assume that it happens to everybody. Do you get in as many like weird standoffish altercations about the one hobby that you have? Like than anything else you've ever yeah. done. Like yeah. I could go to the titty bar and I probably wouldn't get as much static as when I come in here for a little bit and then talk with people. <laughs> yeah, well, it's suddenly like everything needs to be done right then. Mm-hmm. Every every chore that you know needed to be done. And my wife's gotten a lot better at it since I've gotten. I mean, I'm three years in, so yeah. I've I've done it long enough now to where she knows like when I go to podcast, like this is what's going to happen and this is what's going to, you know, I'm going to be in there for about this much time, and. Uh, how, how long have you been podcasting? Uh, this would uh, be a year this month. Okay. As you get, um, and I'm sure you're in a good routine and everything like that with it now, but I found myself to a point where I was trying to pack every bit of work that went into making this podcast mm-hmm. into one day, maybe two days of the week. And at this point, I've broken it down now to where I've got like, you know, I write a story on this day. I go through and grab the um, information from my um like from my intro clips and shit like that on this day. And like I break everything down now to where literally I spend about an hour a day doing the podcast, but it's literally an everyday job. And that's not to mention like the social media aspect and stuff like that. And it still averages out to almost what? Seven hours a week. Yeah. Seven to eight hours a week, somewhere in there. See, it's tough because, um, the biggest issue that I've had has been scheduling because obviously I, uh, I do interviews or I talk with people. And so, that brings another level of difficulty in when you're having to rely on somebody else to, to, you know, make time, which is nice. Not everybody has time like you do. You know, that's what you sit there and you realize that after a while, like, oh, I'm just the lame asshole that has nothing going on on a Saturday. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's, that's the main reason why we haven't gotten too deep into um, into interviews on our show is because it's just been – it's it's so rough to try and get people to come on and stuff like that. So what I try to do is record ahead of time. I don't ever have like, like I, my goal is to never ever be recording the weekend before that Thursday in hopes to get that out. Now that's, that's not to say it doesn't happen still. Right. I have stuff in the can so that if I miss, you know, if I can't get together with Kenny, I still have something. So I always try to have at least one show left so that I'm never trying to get that interview or get someone to come on and stuff like that. So for me, that's that's the main reason why we set the show up the way we did in the first place. See, your show is very well produced, and I will give you that. If you're the one that does all the, the grunt work, bravo, sir. Um, oh, uh, Kenny shows up and talks. Yeah. That, that's, Kenny, that's Kenny's entire job <laughs> on the show is to show up and talk. I wish it was that easy. I've got one now that I kind of do that with uh, on Saturdays. And, uh, it's, it's fun. It's, you know, but it takes away time from my show. So it just, it's kind of one of those things where I love doing it. But at the same time, if it comes down to one or the other, I have to kind of pick and that sucks because I'm not going to be able to do, 
you know, a couple hours of both, that's going to be back into that that trap I was talking about, where a wife gets all pissed at you and starts throwing them jabs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, starts getting shitty with you and stuff. You just What's, spend all uh, weekend uh, in the fucking office? Is that how it's going to be? Well, exactly. <laughs> well, for me, it's uh, <clears throat> like the production and all that shit. Like, if you go back and listen from episode one all the way up now. Sorry, I'm pouring coffee because I didn't want to wait on it. We use a French press, which I know sounds really uh, bougie as shit. We have one too. Oh. <laughs> my wife won't drink coffee if it's not made in the french press and i'm like god damn dude we need like gold plated toilets too what are we doing here i'm not that anyway. picky but uh my wife has gotten to where she likes making lattes and you use espresso for that and right. it's better to use uh, espresso in a uh, french press coffee maker yeah well this the way we do it now we get le- literally like three cups out of the um coffee we get to all a lot more coffee grounds than we did before yeah. but at the same time coffee has so much better of a flavor when you do it this way mm-hmm. you're not drinking basically like coffee flavored water yes and that's my uh, that's my thing but you going back to uh, talking about the production thank you very much for saying it sounds good but as far as um and should i be recording any of this i'm recording already it's it's whichever um i'll probably okay, sorry. i didn't i didn't I, we didn't we just kind of walked into it so i'll go ahead and start recording here my, my style shane is It'll, i usually just roll and we go from there. Now, I might well, do a song in a minute to jump off on, you know, but this will be either that, pre, fine. pre-stuff or I'll throw it in the middle somewhere. This is it's fun. That's fine. Well, I just I didn't start recording yet, and I was like, wait a minute. We didn't even start. But going back to the production aspect, if you were to go back to the very beginning of the show, it's all an evolution because I looked at now that I'm older, and I liked the stuff that we were doing, but I wanted to expand it. I wanted to make it better. I wanted to make it sound more cohesive, and that's like – I downloaded one of those clips, like the, um, I don't know if you've ever heard it before, but I used the Knight Rider commercial break song. I don't know if you've, you, you so. remember that one, but it was the dun da 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 dun da 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 dun da da dun dun Yes. And I, I downloaded that. That was actually the very first clip I ever downloaded. And I was like, dude, I could use this before I go into a promo break. That'd be so awesome. And then from there, the idea became, well, let's find something like that jumps off movies. Like um, I have Austin Powers where Dr. Evil says, welcome to my underground lair and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Just start the show off. And then I found stuff like um, in Point Break, the guy who plays the captain says, do either one of you have anything even remotely interesting to tell me? And I use that sometimes before the show. So it's kind of just an evolution of getting to where we're at. So I appreciate the compliment, but it's it was something that – if you go back and listen to the early shows, it was literally, here's me talking about what we're about to talk about. Right. Here's the story. Here's me and Kenny talking. And that was it. It's interesting that it's more of a, a format. Because I don't have a format. I just talk. And then I'll cut an intro, outro, usually close with a song. And every once in a while, if I'm feeling you know, uh, like I need a little adventure, or if I did get a really good piece of audio, I might do a bumper clip in the, in the beginning. To where it's somebody going, oh, that was the last time I fucking, you know, paid for something, something. And then I hit the music and then I do the intro. So it's, I'm really not as into the audio production as I am just the the overall uh, production. Like, I've got a few friends that are like that. They put a lot of effort into their shows and I appreciate it because I go, I couldn't do that. I couldn't sit down and stare at Audacity and drop you know clips and music and everything and make like a five minute bumper commercial thing like it wouldn't i'd go crazy because i'm i'm way too you know picky about how it comes out and i'd be in here just audio redux audio increase audio cut cut this out boop this over here you know it just i would drive myself insane 
Well, luckily, one of the things that I did was I don't actually edit in Audacity at all. I record in Audacity, mm-hmm. um, but the software I use to edit is called Studio One. And a friend of mine actually helped me set it up a while back. And I've got like <clears throat> my templates for the uh, filtering that I use and stuff like that on the front end. So I go ahead and put all the clips on the front end and I have the noise reduction going on and stuff like that. So I get a lot of the production that I'm looking for on the clips because we have standard settings now that we use on our microphone. So what I'm getting when I put my stuff into my editing software, I know what's going in is 99% of the time exactly what's always going in. It's not something different going in this time than it did last time, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you've got like a, a template. I think you said that. <clears throat> Yeah, I've got a template all set up where it just it's very simple for me to put it in. And then after I do all that, I, dude, it's a process for me to do all the uh, the stuff that I do. But it just when I first started, I started studying like a guy uh, came to me out of the blue and said, hey, man, um, I think you'd be really good at running a podcast. And I was like, well, what the hell is a podcast? This is when I first found out about all of it. And when I first got into doing podcasting, I'd studied a lot of different shows and I read everything I could get my hands on. And the only reason my show has the format it did is because I started listening to a ton of podcasts and I found this one called Snap Judgment um, by NPR. I don't know if you've ever heard it or not, but it's basically a storytelling podcast. And it starts out with the host telling a story and then they go into other people telling their interviewers stories and stuff like that. And it's just seriously just a a storytelling podcast. But that's where I took the format from because I was like, I have to have, for me, I'm very structured and I had to have something I could hold on to. Yeah. And if I had a format and I had a structure I could put everything into, then I can make it make sense every time. I wouldn't feel like – because conversely, how you you know, you know don't take the structure, you don't have the format, you feel better when you're free-flowing. You would probably feel confined if you had a structure you had to live inside of. Yes. Yes. So for, <laughs> and for, me, for me, it's the opposite. Like I would feel confined if I had a structure – or I would feel like – um, off the rails, I'm like out of control. Yes, I would, I would feel aimless <laughs> if I didn't have some sort of a structure to be able to put everything into and be like, okay, this is exactly what we're doing. This is how it works. And it's like I said, it's just all been an evolution. See, I think that being being from the South, as you can probably attest, uh, storytelling is kind of in our blood. It's the way <clears throat> yes. we speak. It's the way our family speaks. It's the way everything flows here. So the idea of just talking to somebody for an hour isn't a daunting task but the idea of sitting down and arranging stuff that to me seems a little more and like you just said it's the exact opposite (laughs) yeah it's this the strange part for me is like i i'm the guy who writes lists for everything right um i want to make sure that i have uh, everything listed out i want to make sure that i have everything planned out like every day i have a to-do list and i try to cross shit off of it and make sure i get all the shit on that list done and if i don't have like something like that going on i mean don't get me wrong there's definitely days when i just sit in front of the tv and watch football all day and drink beer that it's not as though every day is an adventure for me but when it comes to the structure and stuff like that with the show i needed some way to make sure that because i wanted to be able to tell my stories because i had enough of them and literally like people ask me all the time they're like dude you're up to like 150 episodes are you close to running out of stories and i'm like no dude i am nowhere close to running out of stories you have no idea um so it's (laughs) i wanted to be able to tell my stories but i also wanted to be able to sit down and bullshit with me and kenny because people the reason why i brought kenny onto the show in the first place is like we'll go to parties and stuff and the party will be about someone else about someone else's birthday and then at some point during the night me and kenny will get just drunk enough where a crowd of people will get around us because we're just talking shit about stuff yep holding court (laughs) i've done it so many times man it's it's weird and i think it's just i know where mine came from mine came from not getting a lot of attention as a kid 
So as an adult, I I thrive from that. Now I I'm not usually brave enough to run out and just grab your attention, but if through the process of me standing and speaking and making my way through a group of people, eventually people start to direct attention to me, I love that shit. So I'll sit there. Oh yeah, man. Then you know this fucking guy did this, and the cops showed up, and we were all like, I don't know, bro. Fucking you know, it's it's crazy yeah. the way that it it rolls, and I think it's something that is very prominent here like it's i've spoke to spoken speak i've spoken spoke, spoke with a work spoke spoke, spoke with a work to many of people from across the nation at this point now different places i've listened to different shows and i've noticed that it is a particular brand of southern southern storytelling that it just it's not done anywhere else it's not you know Maybe. Well, you you have to look at the the history and the um, that's what I'm looking for. Our history and our shared adventure, no matter you know what your football allegiances or you know your college allegiances and all that shit. Basically, um, in the South, no matter how you identify with the culture that's in the South, there is a culture down here, and we have a shared experience, whether it's positive or negative for you, and everybody's got a story that they want to tell. Um, from that experience, be it, you know, regarding how racism affected them in the sixties or, you know, how college life has changed now compared to what it was back in the day. Yeah. Everybody's got something they can share. And we, we all had such a, a weird upbringing because for me, I lived right outside the city. Like, in fact, I was born, um, maybe 10, 15 minutes outside of Atlanta, maybe 20, um, outside of Atlanta. So I lived right down, like when I was born, I was born directly down the street from Atlanta and I was that close to the city. And then for a lot of my life, I lived on the outskirts where, you know, deer hunting was more prominent than going to the movies on Friday. So there's so much of a different culture down here because you have some people who grew up in what they would consider a big city. Um, and then, you know, Atlanta at this point, I would definitely consider a big city. And then you have people who grew up, you know, 45 minutes outside side of Atlanta and have no concept of city life. So there's so many different types of stories in the South to tell. And all of us have that shared thing. Cause I got mine from my grandmother to start out with my grandmother. And my grandfather would sit me down and tell stories. My dad did too about, you know, the way life was and stuff like that. And one of the things that I'm working on doing before a lot of my uh, relatives pass away and shit is trying to sit down with a lot of them that are getting older now. I'm 40 years old. So a lot of my relatives, you know, a lot of my aunts and uncles are like in, in their sixties and their seventies and shit, and they're getting older. So I want to make sure to sit down with them and try to catch their stories and find out. Cause my grandfather was a minister in cabbage town, Atlanta, which was the ghetto, like the ghetto back yeah. in the day. Um, it was kind of a good mix of, people who are on the struggle and people who are trying to make it past the struggle. And, uh, my grandmother has a lot of stories. Like she burned a guy's hands uh, with her iron one time who came into her house begging for money. And she just put her on, like she was ironing some pants and he put his hands at the end of the ironing board and she lifted the iron, the uh, iron up and set them on top of both of his hands and said, Charles, I then told you, or uh, Jim, I then told you to get out of here and lifted the iron up and went right back to, right back to iron pants like it was nothing no <laughs> I, so those, those are the those are the kinds of stories that i got from my grandmother and grandfather growing up and shit like that just stuck with me like if you don't hear those stories you can't carry that on it's strange to me now because a lot of the times i would hear those at, at deer camp or barbecues or something like that and like you said i have had a little bit of an inclination to try to um record them now to see you know to just to get a piece of that but the problem is, is I think it's been too long now for some of them. Like too much drugs, too much life, 
too much. It would be nice to have them on audio recording just to hear them, but I think at this point the stories have faded because they're, you know, it's not the same person telling the story anymore, unfortunately. A lot of my relatives have died. Like the real good ones, the ones that I would want to have on audio recording now, they're they're gone. So that sucks. I'm yeah. thinking about working on my, my wife's grandpa, though. He's 92 years old. And uh, I get such a thrill taking our son to see him. Uh, usually on Saturdays, I'll take him down to breakfast. We'll sit there. We'll talk and everything. And uh, my wife is very appreciative of it. And she says, you know, I don't know if most people would do that. That's really considerate and very nice he likes you to take him up there so he can see our, our son and i said you know i look at it this way i get up early anyway so it's not like it's an inconvenience to get up at seven to go eat breakfast and i love free breakfast you can always right i swear to god if you had a rape van all you would have to do is put a sign and a plate with some eggs and bacon on it i'm in the van <laughs> you don't even have to try hard nice um i think that it's I realize that he might not see him turn 10. He's 92. You know what I'm right. saying? Like, he very well could not be here another two years, five years. Like, when when does it stop? Yeah, so, when, you, when you get in past the 90s, I work in health. I don't work in healthcare, but I work in uh, medical malpractice insurance coverage. And I, I listen to a lot of the stuff about, you know, the ages of people. When you get into the 90s, pretty much every year is a gift. Like, yeah. you're, you're happy if he makes it to 93. And he's still going strong. How fucking right. crazy is that? I don't know. Half of my family won't make it to 70. You know what I'm saying? A few of them have made yeah. it into their 80s, but it's a rough, a rough last couple years there. And uh, it's just crazy to me to think that he did enough and took care of himself enough to make it to 90s. Like, can you imagine being 90, Shane? Like, no, the story no, at all. I don't want to imagine being 90, but I, I mean, if, if I had to, I would. Um, for me, it's it, my family's the same sort of way. I got a few that are, you know, in their 70s now and they're still going strong. But I've got, you know, plenty of family that's already passed away. Some that were like in their fifties, yeah, that have passed away from just you know years and years of hard living. So it's it's definitely understandable that you know most of your family doesn't make it because again in the South there's a certain culture and some people are on one side of it. And I used to talk about drugs a second ago, and some people are on the other side of it. And my dad's side of the family uh, got a lot of people who are over seventy years old on that side of the family, and on my mom's side of the family, um, we don't we don't have nearly as many people who are making it past seventy because they were. <clears throat> A part of that different lifestyle, you know, they were in construction and stuff like that and lived, you know, a rough, hard life. And some of them are passing away earlier. Oh, shit. Any of that mesothelioma off in there, Shane? That no. Asbestos like fucks some people up, apparently. I see it on the on the TV sometimes. Apparently, uh, they were lining the uh, the houses with pipes with poison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come to find out. So mesothelioma how shitty is that though to like wake up you know years later and be like oh sorry we were killing people on purpose i mean not really on purpose but you know sorry about that my bad i think they do it all the time now that's that's the downside so much shit super fucked up part is like people have to fight for those benefits like shouldn't you just be able to walk up and be like hey um i i worked in asbestos Here's the paperwork showing that I was exposed to it. And they should be like, cool, here's a check for whatever, you know, the settlement is. I just don't understand why people still have to go to court. Like, you still have to get a lawyer and all that shit. I mean, maybe just because I'm not in that world. But at the same time, it just feels like, you know, this should be be settled. It's the same thing with a car accident, though. You should never have to get an attorney and go fight for damages when somebody runs into you. Yeah. Car accidents are weird because you get them no see 
the ones where you get a slip disc or something. I feel oh, yeah. bad for people that have back problems. It's a very <laughs> weird game that's happening right now. Um, you know, my wife, uh, she manages my father-in-law's pharmacy. He went into business for himself a few years ago, and it's been very interesting seeing the development of the customer base and you know with all the the opiates and stuff that have kind of ripped through this part of town the country at this point yeah uh, they've seen some very very crazy things and it's it's bad because you can't tell the dude's back's fucked up or you can't tell if it's not so you got a lot of people here playing shit up but you got a lot of people that are also in a lot of pain (laughs) so it's hard to know when to stop like where's the line well, my, my mom had chronic back problems her entire life. Um, not her entire life, but pretty much around, I want to say she was around 20-something, 20 28, 30, somewhere in there. Uh, but she slipped at work, and she was a manager at a Burger King, and she slipped, hit her rib on um, on the sink, and it broke her rib, and one of her nerves grew up in between the rib. Mm-hmm. So it was pinching her nerve and messing her back up from then forward. My mom was in legitimate pain. Um, so you could see the, the pain on her face when she didn't have her medication, but then, you know, it, it got to a situation where you could see where the medication, it almost evolved. Like it went from being medication that, you know, would help her and she didn't have to have it to over time, like suddenly now I need to go get the pills instead of just, you know, my back's hurting, I need to go get some medication. So it, it almost feels like they, they knew what they were doing when it came to the opioid thing. They were like, let's get people hooked on this and then we can just get them as repeat customers over and over and over. And only now when it's grown to a nationwide epidemic, do people look around and go, oh, well, we didn't mean to do that. We didn't mean for the entire country to be hooked on, you know, basically heroin through pills. So we're, we're sorry about that, and now we'll stop advertising. It's like, well, your, your fucking shit's already on the street. Come up with a non-addictive version. That's all you have to do. Oh, they started an even more shitty thing um, recently. I don't know if it's nationwide or what the deal is, but here in Arkansas, uh, after the first of the year, something happened with insurance. I'm not sure if it was, you know, everybody talks out of their ass about all the politics and oh, Obamacare this and Trump did this. I don't know what this is from. I don't know if it's something that took years to go through and finally has or what. But after doing business for two years now, they were just starting to to make a, a decent, you know, market. It's It's finally starting to kind of turn. And whatever happened after the first of the year, insurance companies are paying less in rebates to pharmacists now. Like they just said, yeah, we're going to pay you this much, but it costs 170. We're going to give you 140, but you've been paying me 170. Yeah, we're going to give you 140. That's what they just did after the first of the year. And so now <laughs> they're they're doing this really weird thing that I'm watching happen. And I told my wife, I go, this is cutthroat business at its finest, what they're doing. They're undercutting the fucking rebates for the prescriptions because CVS pharmacy actually owns its own like doctor that they're they have the the patient contact and the prescription market. So they yeah, have the urgent care units built in. Right. So What's happening now is the insurance companies are paying less for the drugs. You can't just lose money. You, if That's not how business works. If you want to be in business, you have to make money somehow. So now my wife's company, they're, they're having to turn people away. People that come in and say, I need this prescription, they type it in and go, 
fuck me, I'm going to lose $100 on this. I can't do it. Now, it's shitty from a customer standpoint because as a customer, you go, well, why is that my fucking problem? I need, you know, pills. And they go, we can't, you know, can't do it. And then they go to CVS. So what's going to happen is CVS can eat that. They can eat that $40, $50 on each prescription for however long it takes because they're a billion-dollar corporation. They're going to put every other business out of business, and by the time when the dust settles, they'll be the only one around, and then you just get all your pills from them. So it's <laughs> it's pretty fucked, and there's a lot of people here in the state, especially right now, that are uh, having you know meetings and, and congressmen phone message. Like, it's a big fucking deal. Like, they're trying to choke out the small business prescription market here. Well, that's been happening for years, though. It's not just the. I mean, it's. I mean, I'm not saying that I, I don't have any intimate knowledge of it as you do, but I can see from my point of view in Georgia. I've watched all the mom and pop stores that had, you know, somebody's um, dad's name at the top. Like if it was Smith's Pharmacy, that's become, you know, a Rite Aid or an Eckerd or a Walgreens or a CVS. And excuse me. For the longest time, they were Eckerd Drugs here in Georgia, and then they switched over to Rite Aid. And then CVS and Walgreens pretty much went through and bought up Rite Aid, and now you've got CVS or Walgreens. That's pretty much – no, not Walgreens. What am I thinking of? Yeah, Walgreens. You're, you've got those two. That's pretty much all you see now mm-hmm. is between those two, and that's it. And they both got the urgent care clinic, so you walk in there, and they're on every corner. So that's just where you go, or you go into your grocery store, which your grocery store also has <clears> – <throat> a lot of times, they, a lot of the ones here will have urgent care in there as well. It's, so it's it, 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 the small business owner has been getting shit on for so many years now, and there's so many things that we just continue to do. Like you're looking at um, FedEx and UPS are now going to have to compete with Amazon yeah. when it comes to um, shipping, and that's fine. I understand. You know, if Amazon's got the ability and the infrastructure to be able to deliver packages, then why shouldn't they? Um, you know, business can can move forward, but it's funny how. Corporations are now slowly starting to control more and more of the economy of the countries that they're in. Um, And you notice that they're starting to diversify into different countries because the more countries they have influence in, basically the more control they have in the world. I mean, they can shape policy from where they sit because they control the dollars. It's pretty crazy, man. Like, just to sit back and look at it from from where I'm standing, it's it's very remarkable to see everything happening and realize no that's them trying to fuck somebody <laughs> i know exactly yeah. what that is <laughs> the the thought pro- there's nothing comes without a price and that's like uh I, I saw a meme on um on facebook the other day it was a picture of one of those little alexa um, devices or whatever and it said um back in the day in the 1950s it showed two panels and said back in the day in the 1950s people be on the phone and saying you know hey i need to be careful what i say on this phone because big brother could be listening and then in the 2000 and somethings, you say, uh, Big Brother, can you turn on the television? Uh, Big Brother, can you order a pizza for me? <laughs> Big Brother, what, how tall is Barack Obama? And you continually feed these little information disks in your house information. And we're all going to smart houses with cameras and shit like that. Well, if the cameras can look in, somebody can look in on them too. Like If, you, if you can look at it from your phone, mm-hmm. then that 22-year-old hacker down the road who's got a laptop and a bad attitude can also look in on your cameras. How crazy is that, Shane? People are stealing oh, people's identity. Like, they can walk past you in a supermarket with your wallet in your pocket, and they have a device that can snatch your information from your phone or from the chip in your goddamn <laughs> debit card while you're standing there, and you'll never know. Re- it's ridiculous. 
and we're we're in such a digital world now. Like somebody asked me the other day because I'm so anti. And don't get me wrong, I have a smartphone. I, I use smart technology. We're talking on Skype right now. Who yeah, knows who's listening it, to Skype? Dude, Who knows I'm, what's being recorded back in the day? I'm or looking back in the, at my baby right now on a fucking on a uh, uh, Wi-Fi baby monitor camera that I have in the bedroom. Like I'm not above it. Everybody's got yeah. it. <laughs> but but at this, and I'm getting ready to actually put the Nest cameras in so I can watch my dogs when I'm here when I'm not here during the day and I can have a microphone where I can be like, hey, stop chewing on that. Um, but it, when it comes down to like the smart home and stuff like that, the thing where you can turn your lights on and off if you're not at the house, like I'm so reluctant to give those technologies to my house because if I can do it from my phone, then the 22-year-old hacker down the road who's decided to start looking at IP addresses and figuring out what's what where he's you know, in the neighborhood, if somebody decided they wanted to start going on a high-tech rob- robbery spree, yeah. all you need to do is be a reasonable hacker. That's really all you need to do these days. You can get you can open houses up from a, from the comfort of your car with a laptop. You don't even need you know the little tools and the fucking ski mask and shit like that. You can pull up in a van that looks like you're moving people and steal all their shit. And people be like, oh well, he had the code. He must have been able to get in. You know, he he was able to unload the house and turn on the lights and all that shit. He must have been part of the moving crew. People people are just so trusting these days of this technology that we're just giving our our freedoms to it. Sorry, I'll stop my anti-technology rant now. Yeah, goddamn, with the wheel and the fire, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. No, it's 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 very crazy to see how welcoming people are to it. Like you said, um, I remember when the Pokemon game came out. Uh, what was that? A year ago? Maybe a year and a half? Not even? I want to say maybe a year or two years ago. The Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go, out. yeah. Motherfuckers were knocking on people's doors, saying, "Hey, man, oh yeah, can I come get this?" platypus fucking bird thing out of your house and people were getting shot at motherfuckers were finding bodies in in caves like if you wanted a program to literally 3d map the entire planet that's pretty good pretty good go at it i mean you're not going to get the depths of the jungles in venezuela and shit but you want downtown atlanta on a saturday yeah, oh, yeah. I can show you videos of 300 fucking kids walking through a park looking for one thing that they supposedly dropped. They were robbing people. People were putting up the beacons and these nerds were going out into the fucking into the bad parts of town at 3 in the morning going, "Well, I just want to go fucking see." And then they get robbed. <laughs> it's dude, people were stopping on the middle of a highway. It's so like it was crazy. causing car accidents and shit like that. I mean, it's and and again, like you said, it's it, when it's used for innocuous reasons. It's I've been uh, I've been watching that show Supergirl recently, and they talk. You know, there's a lot of. It's definitely written by people who have a very liberal mindset because it's all about you know loving the aliens and letting the aliens become a part of our society and all that shit. But when you listen to some of the things that they talk about, you know, they're like, we don't want power to get to be too much before we put it in check we want to make sure that we understand how much power is there and how we can control it if we need to and that's what i feel like we're doing when it comes to technology it's like we we're continuously building smarter robots we're continuously working on ai we're suddenly now having robots that can talk that can you know the the scariest fucking thing in the world is that one robot that's a chick that can answer questions and stuff like that and it's like you know, it looks like you're talking to a human. And eventually, like I've, I've read reports that, you know, in the next 10 years, the sex worker industry is going to experience such a decline because people will not want warm bodies anymore. They'll want sex robots because sex robots can't get diseases. 
sex robots can be completely clean. You don't have to worry about paying them or anything like that. Well, what happens when the AI sex robots decide they want to raise up, you know, and fucking, no, 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 we need to be paid now. We, we understand that we're, we're tools and we're materials, but at the same time, you guys built us with AI. We have emotions, and now we want to fucking get paid. What happens when that happens? I mean, we're building robots that are stronger than us, that are able to calculate problems faster than we can, and we're just like, oh, no, that's fine. It's fine. They'll develop dick loppers. That's what'll happen. They'll let you in, <sighs> and they'll just snap that shit off and be like, I, I warned you, Dave. <laughs> yeah. I was- I've, I've never slept with a hooker, and I never would. Um, luckily, I'm married, so I don't have to go out and find ass, but... At the same time, dude, what the flaming fuck is going on in the world when you have sex robots? This is what I mean. This is what's going on, Shane, and you and I both know it. As men, I can I can be honest. Robots don't say no. That's the difference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the big difference. That's why everybody is even talking about this. Robots can't say no. You just fuck them. It's there's no restriction, which I think breeds another kind of irrational bad behavior too the the non-restrictive person can be quite a fucking maniac uh, in my experience in aff- affluency uh, fluency whatever the fuck you want to call it people that are so rich that they don't understand rules like sex rules are kind of a big one and if you just have the option to fuck a thing whenever you want it, it can can build some strange strange habits i'm sure it might take well, a while <laughs> but i'm sure there's going to be some <laughs> weird shit come from that have you watched the uh, – there's a Netflix show. Do you have Netflix, by the way? I do. Okay. Uh, there's a new Netflix original called Altered Carbon. I'm positive you've seen it when you open your menu because it's, it was one of the featured ones for about a month. You've seen the, um, the, have you, have you uh, checked into it yet? I've only seen the picture for it, like the, the thumbnail or whatever. I haven't actually looked at it. Okay. Check out the preview for it next time. Um, next time you get a chance when you're on Netflix. Basically, it starts out – and the main character, you start out with him when he's an Asian dude and he's some sort of like paramilitary fighter, like something or other. You don't really know what's going on in the front end. But by the time you get to the uh, end of the show, it starts to discuss things like um, they live in a world where our entire consciousness is now downloaded onto what's essentially a USB drive and it's inserted in the back of your neck. And as long as that USB drive in the back of your neck, they call them stacks, doesn't get destroyed, you can move your consciousness to a brand new body. That's pretty cool. It is. Pretty cool. Except, except they start delving into certain things like we talked about a second ago where corporations start to run everything. Yeah. Corporations become the, – the way things are done is corporations run the military. Corporations run the government. Corporations run everything. And the rules really don't apply to them. So they create – because in this future, this is like years in the future. They never tell you what year it is or anything like that, but they, it's years and years in the future because they build sex clubs where they have constructs, AI constructs that are basically sex robots that come out that you can kill if you want to. You can rape. You can murder. Yeah. And you can do all this shit. And it's basically like going out to a fucking Tattletales strip club. And watching a girl swing her tits around for a little bit, it's no different than that kind of a Friday night where a dude will say, I'm going down to, there's a club called Jack It Off. I'm going to go down to Jack It Off and, you know, kill kill a couple of girls. I'll be back later. And that's a conversation that people will be having in the future if we keep going down this path and the depravity that we're allowing society to to indulge in. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody needs to unwind. Everybody needs to unwind. Everybody oh, needs to relax. Everybody needs to have yeah, something yeah. where they can, you know, 
take a take a step back and whatever you do in the privacy of your own home is whatever you do in the privacy of your own home but when it comes to us building sex clubs in the future and watching the show was like a, a stark reality like there was a um uh, what do you call it? A, uh, a thing. It was like a, a space station in the sky. It was way above the city. You had to take a spaceship to get up to it. But when you got up there, it was one of those like you had to pay like five hundred thousand dollars just for the privilege of walking in the door, and then like any of the packages, which included like being able to literally take a knife and murder someone to death in front of you, uh, like a live person, not not a, not a construct, like a live person. That kind of a place was there, and it was all based on. Exactly what you're talking about. You know, the more and more we allow things to go and the, the more and more we, we say, well, if we take away the layer of people saying no, then it just gives us so much more freedom. No, it allows you to unlock the shitty parts of human beings yeah. because at our base, we are still animals. Animals. It's all in there, man. I make that point a lot. I say monster. I say everybody's got the monster inside them. I've had mixed reviews. Some people will agree. Some people will disagree. It just depends on the person, I guess. But I think the overwhelming sensation is is left to our own devices. People can get real crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you look at any time, you know, you see people get into really crazy situations with fight or flight. There's so many stories um, where, you know, basically martial law, Britain, not martial law, but like chaos breaks out mm-hmm. when people don't, you know, people will eat each other. You know, there's, there's a line from... Um, I want to say it's the Dark Knight, where he says, "You'll where the Joker is talking to Batman." He goes, "You'll see. I'll show you. When the chips are down, these this city will eat itself." Well, there was. I remember that scene. Now that you mentioned it, it was when uh, he made a point against that one asshole that liked to feed people to his dogs or whatever, and he said, "And I'll yeah. feed you to your fucking dogs, and we'll see. You know where their loyalty lays when they're hungry. You know shit like yeah. that. Yeah, yep. It's true. Put put me in a room with anybody." I'm. I'll eat your fucking ass. Like I'm. My will to live is strong. <laughs> the force well, is told, strong in this one. <laughs> my, my wife and I have had the conversation. Like I don't have it in me to just go out and become a killer. Like I couldn't become Dexter or some shit like that. First off, I am mortally afraid of blood. I am fucking deathly. Like it makes me ill to my stomach to see it. It is just something that I am not good with whatsoever. And um, <laughs> she was. She just told me she was going to didn't actually take my blood told me she was going to passed out i just spoke passed out people like that on my last episode shane <laughs> i've never met a person like that i've heard uh, heard you guys are out there that's nuts it's not well i just to stab well, somebody, you, huh? we can leave the stuff in about you know me passing out because of blood like my mom called me one time and she goes shane i stepped on a, i was walking through my bedroom and there was a glass on the floor and it broke and now i've got blood all over the floor and i need you to come over here and help me i was like mom I'm going to throw up and then pass out like literally two steps in the door. Nikki, the nurse, maybe she should come over and help you. My wife should be there, not me. I'm just not that kind of guy. So I couldn't become a killer. I couldn't become a serial killer. I just couldn't do that. Um, But if somebody came into my house and threatened me, my family, which includes my wife, my son, and my dogs, if anybody came into my house and threatened my family, I would drop them where they stand. I have no time or patience. If if you're threatening my family and it's my life or my wife's, oh, I'm definitely taking you out. I feel the same way. I don't – I like to think that the the killer aspect would be limited for me too, but – I don't know, dude. Like, there's a few people on that list, I think. I don't like prison. Like, you don't like blood. I don't like prison. <laughs> so, no, I don't either. 
So the I don't either. Idea I, visited, spending, I visited my dad in prison enough to know I don't like prison. The idea of spending any kind of time in a correctional facility doesn't scare me, but it, it I know that I would be hopeless in a place like that. And it would just it'd be out the window, dude. I'd be it'd be game over for me. So I, I don't harbor ideas of harming people strictly because I don't want to go to jail. Now, if if I could just get away with it, I don't know, dude. There might be a few people on that list, like I said. <laughs> well, I'm I'm not saying that there's not, you know, everybody's got that that side of them that says, you know, if I had the ability for this person to disappear and it wouldn't affect me, then maybe. And I've watched enough true crime to believe that I could get away with it if if it was really necessary. I have the belief that I would not – it wouldn't be like you know a, a whim thing. It would be something that you have to plan out and be methodical with and stuff like that. It's not something you do on a Friday. Um, it's not just something you wake up on Friday and say, I'm going to kill someone today. You could get um, away with it except for that one time on a podcast a long time ago when you mentioned how you knew how to get away with it. <laughs> well, again, though, this will be so many years in the future that no one will ever even be able to go back and find this. That's okay, right. They'll, they'll right. go digging. But they they won't find this. I, I promise. Actually and if said if, it out if it's loud. if it's necessary, they won't find you. Man, I, uh, <laughs> it, it'll be fun either way. We'll see what shakes out. I'm just <laughs> see what happens. I uh, I'm so glad you got to come by today, dude. Like I've I've really been interested to talk to you. I listened to podcasts before I started doing one for a little while, and that was kind of where I found out about a, a few of you guys. And you're one of the people that I, I came across because we we both did an episode of Passers by Podcast, right? Right. I remember your episode because you talked about dogs. I don't remember <laughs> if it was because you also talked about dogs in your last episode. So I go, these motherfuckers had a lot of dogs. I've had a few. I have. So it's <laughs> I get it. And uh, the first one, it was a story, I guess, either that – your dad made you kill your dog or he something no. happened or no he uh my, my dad it was, um it was one of those and everybody yeah he my, my dog was demon possessed i didn't mean to cut you off but my dog was uh, according to my dad he was demon possessed and my dad had to stab it right and then it didn't die when he stabbed it then he ran it over with his car and it was still alive when he left and that's what made him believe that it was demon possessed and i'm like no you're just a bad fucking dog owner like no it's a fucking shit fucking dog owner sir <laughs> I, I, I still when I tell the story, I, like I tell it, and I, this is a part of me, a part of my background, a part of my Southern culture. But I'm still like, this is so fucked up to think about that my dad did this to a family pet. This dog slept in my mine and my little brother's bed at night, and my dad, the dog snapped at my dad. He didn't like the way he snapped at him one time, and that was it. He he took the dog out. But anyway, you were you were following a, a line of questioning, and I wanted to clarify to you exactly what had happened. <laughs> what happened was my mama had exactly. said, no. Um, I heard your show on Passersby, and I listened to a couple of your episodes then. But, I mean, throughout the process, dude, it's so many shows, and trying to listen to everything gets crazy. And so I check in once in a while, and I'm, it's fun. I'm glad I finally got to talk to you. You know, it's, I've, I've been curious to, to kind of speak with you. Just from what I've heard from your show, you seem like a very interesting dude. And uh, I've seen a lot of information about you. Like I said, I read a little bit of a bio. It says that you've done stuff all over the the country huh you you've done music you've done some film like tell me about yourself a little more in that aspect motherfucker like you sit well, here and uh you, well, the, you do your show and you've got so many more layers well podcasting was kind of the it's the the last creative venue that i've gone down but when i was 17 years old i got a set of drums from a 
some people my parents knew that didn't have any bottom rims on them and shit like that. And I had this really shitty set of drums for a couple of years, but I decided that I was going to become a rock musician. When I was 11 years old, I, I watched the video for Welcome to Paradise or to uh, what do you call it? Paradise City by Guns N' Roses. Yes. And I said, I want to do that. I want to. I want to be on tour. I want to play. And at the time, I was poor, living in a trailer with my family, and there was like red clay outside, and we were always dirty, and we were poor as fuck. And it just, I wanted to do something exciting. So at 17 years old, I set out on this this task to become a drummer and to play and to do music and stuff like that. And without going into too many details, I spent the next 17 years playing. In uh, quite a few places around the southeast, for the most part, we played in Georgia, but, you know, just doing everything I could to try and get the band off the ground. And at one point, we were playing at the Fox Theater in front of like 5,000 people opening up for Godsmack. And that was like the pinnacle, the height of the career that we had gotten to. And literally, like, as soon as we hit that pinnacle, about a year and a half, two years later, everything just kind of fell apart with the band. So I spent about a year just having no idea what to do whatsoever after music was over. Because uh, have you ever been in a band, Jody? Okay. Never been in a band. Mm. I'm a huge music fan. I have zero musical anything. Like, I love to listen to it. I sing a little. You know, and that's just maybe right. not great. But as far as instruments go, I kind of blow a harmonica once in a while. And my hand's fucked up. So it's kind of difficult for me to, to even fathom playing shit now because I'm shy digit. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I get that, but at the same time, if Jimi Hendrix can learn to play a uh, right-handed guitar, left-handed, anything's possible, sir. It's true. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not giving you shit or anything like that. But I'm saying if you've hey. got the music inside you and you want to fucking go do it, then grab a guitar and just do it. Don't, don't fucking wait for somebody to, to come in and say, well, you know, you. I know you can't play all the chords because you're missing a finger, but you know if you, if you want to play, fucking this play, is, dude. What I'll say is, I really don't have a drive to play music. I don't hear music. You know, they said there's music people and lyric people. Yep, I'm a lyric person, I, and my best friend is a music person, which is why I think it's fun when we sit around and and fuck around. Stuff gets pretty fun, you know. But I've always been that way. I like to, I listen to songs over and 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 over again, and I've got like a karaoke bible in my head, and it sucks right. because now it's almost like a nervous tick when people put certain words together. My brain goes to a song. Which is why I can oh, yeah. never write music. Because I've tried. I've tried to sit there and write shit down, but it never fails. I'll get three words into something, and then it's standing in line to see the show. No, fucking that. No, <laughs> that's Chili Peppers. You know, you go and it's it's a it's difficult. It's well, the, what I was getting at, and the reason I brought up like being in a band and stuff like that is anybody who's been in a band, or if you've been friends with people who've been in a band, you know that there's a shitload of work to go that goes into it, and. Yes. Imagine all the work that you put into your podcast and multiply that out by the fact that now there's four other adults or three other adults or two or how many people are in your band. You now have to, in, in my case, I was managing the band. So I was kind of the, the guy who was doing all the business and shit like that for the band and trying to keep everybody's egos in check and stuff like that. And when the band broke up and there's all that work that goes into it, there's merchandising, there's shows, there's managing the money, there's managing the egos, there's all that work that goes into it. And when it ended... I've been doing it for 17 years. I just couldn't anymore. I just, I couldn't move on. Like I, I knew I had the talent to get another band where I had been in six months or so, but I just didn't want to. It was one of those things where, and that's where the passion sort of sits and you have to decide what you're going to do next. Cause I was about 34 years old and I knew I still had talent. I knew I still had the ability to get out there and do it. But I was like, dude, I'm 34 years old. Maybe I should be a dad to my kid and a husband to my wife. Yeah. So I decided to go that route. 
So I sat around pretty depressed and upset at the band that I had that had just recently played for 5,000 people had broken up when me and a buddy got together, Kenny, and said, let's write a movie. And we got together with another friend of ours and we threw around some ideas. And lo and behold, about a year and a half after we said, let's write a movie, we were producing the movie completely independent, no studio involved whatsoever. Like we financed the movie ourselves. It was 820 something dollars or $860 that we paid for it total. And this is a full on hour and a half long movie. Uh, we're getting ready to actually put it on YouTube because we never did anything with it. It was more like, let's make a movie. And if it comes out great, you know, we'll, we'll do what we can with it. But it just, there's so much shit. Like if a band is a lot of work, imagine a movie. Now you have to manage like 80 people because you have a crew and then you have all the cast and all that shit. So once we got all past it, it, you know, we made the movie and then it was like two and a half years later by the time we finally got it edited. And it was like, well, we can't really send it to festivals now because they have to be, you know, sent to festivals the same year it's made and shit like that. So now we've just got a movie. So sat around for about six months after that going, what the fuck is next? When a buddy of mine called me out of the blue and said, I think you'd, I'm starting a podcast network and I think you'd be great at running a podcast. And he goes, you should just pick something to talk about and make your own podcast. I'm like, well, what the fuck should I talk about? He's like, I don't care. Just pick something to talk about and make your own podcast. Yeah. And that was literally my entire introduction to wanting to be a podcaster, to learning how to be a podcaster, any of that shit was just talking to that guy and saying, you should check it out. So I checked out stuff like the Joe Rogan show, uh, this American life, snap judgment, shit like that. Like we talked about earlier, that was where I got my, my structure for now that I'm older is listening to that storytelling podcast gave me the format and the, the box kind of that I wanted to fill in kind of, if you're doing a paint by number painting, then you can go ahead and put your shit into that paint by number painting and say, okay, well, one is going to be my intro. And every week I need to have a one that goes into this one. And then two is going to be the intro clip that sets up what the rest of the sh- And it allowed me to finally formulate that. So after all that shit went down, talked to Kenny, had the format, told him we're going to do this. We're going to make a podcast. He says, no, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to be on the podcast. I'm like, what the fuck do you mean you don't want to be on the podcast? Dude, you were there literally every show I had. Kenny was backstage taking pictures. Kenny's been my best friend for over 20 years now. He, every show I had, he was backstage taking pictures or out in the crowd hanging out with us and shit. Um, and with the movie, Kenny was the director. I was the executive producer. And with the podcast, I knew that me and Kenny had that connection. And we were great when people would get around us at shows and shit like that. And when we were at parties, they would all want to hang out with us to see what the fuck we were going to say. Right. And I did the first uh, episode Kenny was a part of. Um, Um, me and my little brother and Kenny were all a part of the very first episode. And then the next two episodes and now that I'm older, didn't have Kenny on it because he said he didn't want to be a part of it. So I said, you know what? That's fine. I'm going to go ahead and record without you. I'm going to go find other people and we're going to sit down and have discussions and we'll figure out what we're going to do. Right. Kenny listened to two episodes without him being on it. And he called me up and goes, no, no, no. Those those two episodes sucked. Yeah. No, fuck that shit. (laughs) He was was like, I gotta be on the show. Um, and the, the main thing Kenny tells me all the time, he's like, dude, you are the podcast. I am just the talent. I am just there to offer flavor and content, which is a fancy way of him saying, I don't want to do any work. I want you to do every bit of the work, right? (laughs) but I want to get most of the credit. That's literally all Kenny's telling me. And you're okay with that because it's Kenny. <laughs> well, it's 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 whatever when it comes to that sort of thing, and it's not. How can I say this? Um, 
I love the aspect, like we talked about earlier, I love the aspect of production. I love when I get done with it. And I hear, and this is not me trying to brag or anything like that, but I'll go ahead and pat myself on the back because I do hear about the great production quality about now that I'm older from time to time. Now, I do have people from time to time who also have other stuff they talk about, but I've heard that it has good production quality. And when I hear that, it excites me because I know how much time goes into it. It, I'm not trying to say it's better than anybody else's or anything like that. Well, that's why I I have to say something about it because I listen to enough shows to know when somebody is is doing a good job in my opinion but just the the work alone i can also tell when people don't do anything like me you know it's i see somebody's doing it and to know that you're the one that's doing all of it makes me go well goddamn like i got a, another friend of mine that's like that he his show is full of commercials and bumpers and topics he's also the wheel man on the show like it's it's a special person to, to be able to do it all uh, week after week after week. That's the other impressive part is the longevity. <laughs> yeah, we uh, now that I'm older, the entire time we've been a podcast, I think we've had, I'm going to say four shows, maybe five shows that were like look back shows or remake shows where I took like former clips and cut them up. But I typically will always have a new intro story um, and there's always some new audio every week. We've never released an episode with it where it's just been, hey, we're putting out an old episode again. And if you listen to any N- NPR podcast, you know that they have plenty of times where they'll just reload an old episode right. and call it the new episode for this week. And it's like, well, okay, awesome. That's an episode from like three years ago. And I heard that episode. Why the fuck are you playing that again and not telling anybody that you're just playing it again? But for now that I'm older, we're up to episode 157. And I think, like I said, four, maybe five times at the most, we've had remix episodes. But there's always been new audio every single week. And we've never posted an old episode twice. And that goes back to when I first started looking into podcasting. Some of the main tenets that they said was make sure your audio quality is on point. And for literally the first like 50, 60 episodes I had, it was not. It was, you know, Pretty much one to 25 was a shit show yeah. when it came to audio quality. You could go back and listen and there's this huge, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got in the background. Too. Like it's just so bad the whole time. And then when I started getting better microphones and shit like that, like I, I just, as, as I started to learn things and then as I started to study more, I started to realize, okay, I don't have to just put this together patchwork. And literally my whole setup that we've spent for the podcast is like, maybe 300 bucks, including the mixer. I have three separate, um, microphones. Um, I don't remember the, uh, the type of microphone I have, but anyway, they're powered by the board and all that shit, but they're, they're good Behringer. They're like C nines or some shit like that. And they're good microphones. We get good quality with them. And you know, I'll work with them, um, Yeti at home, but all the shit I was working with microphones I found in my basement back from the band days when we first started out and was working with this board that was like a thousand years old and shit that was definitely not meant for tight audio production. It was meant to produce like a huge band and shit, but I work with what I had and it's, it's taken me as long as we, it's taken me as long as we are now to get to a point where when I sit down to do an episode, I'm like, okay, I need to hit this point, this point, this point. Um, got to make sure I have clips for this. Got to have clips for that. And then it's always also trying to make sure it stays fresh too. That's the other thing that I applaud guys like you who sit down and do just a show where you talk to people because you have a different flavor every time you have someone new on the show. Right. Every time you have someone new on the show, like you're just, the people who tune into your show are still going to hear you. They're still going to hear your comedy. They're still going to hear, you know, how you are and stuff like that. But you don't have anybody to bounce anything off of. It's literally you and a guest. And that shit is that I applaud people who can do that a lot more because without Kenny there, I'd, it'd just be me talking. 
I've tried that. Have you done a couple of those, Shane? <laughs> the, the the solos? There, no. Uh, oh, bro. Absolutely They're not. Fucking Absolutely not. Fucking it, brutal. <laughs> well, again, I get out of the whole episode, um, our episodes run about 45 minutes, and you'll hear roughly about five to six minutes of an intro story from me. Right. And then throughout the rest of the episode, you'll hear probably about two and a half minutes of my voice. So that means you're getting about nine minutes out of a 45 minute episode. That's just my voice. And that is more than enough Shane. Uh, we don't need any more extra Shane. Like on the, if you listen to the actual content clips where Kenny and I are going back and forth, Kenny dominates a lot of those conversations and I'm fine with allowing him to do it because he drives a lot of the stuff that we're going to. And like some of the outrage and shit like that, that Kenny brings to the table leads in, leads us into more, you know, diverse topics and leads us into more tangents and shit like that. But there's a lot of Shane already on the podcast. I could not imagine sitting down um, for every week. There's a show that went into uh, basically pod faded uh, called the Just John Show, where John would sit down and he would just you know rant for 30 minutes about you know tech stuff, and it was really entertaining. It was a great show. But every week, I was like, dude, I would I'd probably shoot myself if I had to do a show every week just by myself. And I didn't. I, nobody helped me. Nobody sat down to to bounce ideas off of. That's the biggest thing I couldn't do with a solo show is not having anybody to bounce things off of. I would lose my fucking mind, like because that's my idea of of going insane. I've spent time by myself in the woods for extended periods of time. Like we used to live there, where you just you're just out in the woods in your trailer. Fuck it, <laughs> figure it out. Watch movies, whatever. And uh, the idea of just sitting in a room and just going through my thoughts one at a time. Yeah, I don't... All the mouth breathing, like, it would be... That'd be fucking terrible. <laughs> it sounds like an episode of Criminal Minds is what it sounds like. It does. It really does. It it's, sounds like the beginning of an episode of Criminal Minds, like where somebody comes in and, like, they break your tape recorder, and that's the stressor that makes you start killing hikers or some shit. It's just um, me in a room going, today, I was driving home from work, and I hit a squirrel. I should have felt bad about it, but I really didn't. <laughs> it felt great. <laughs> that was when I, got I finally felt lust. something. <laughs> I, I ran over the squirrel so and I didn't alive. feel sadness. And then I thought about the smeared squirrel on the bottom of my Toyota Corolla tire. It's, um, and then I decided that Jane from accounting could go too. <laughs> I wouldn't always, feel bad about her. She'd always been kind of a squirrel. What with her teeth and all, <laughs> yeah. See, <laughs> so, yeah, that's bitch. I shouldn't do it, dude. Uh, that would drive me nuts. So, Yell at me about my expense report. I'll fucking kill you, Jane. <laughs> you have no idea. I'm a squirrel murderer. Uh, shit. So, have you noticed just with listening to your stuff? And I'll say this: I think your voice is quite captivating, sir. Um, I Thank thought you. maybe you had sang because you do kind of have like a rock dude voice. I don't know how often. Well, it's probably stupid to ask you, but I'm saying how often you hear lead singers from rock bands usually are in your kind of speaking tone, a little bit gravelly, a little bit yeah. rough and, and kind of deep, and that's that can turn into good stuff. Do you sing at all? No, I've actually, uh, when I was in the band, I was the drummer, and it was much easier for me because there's a lot of responsibility that goes along with being the lead singer of a band yes. and most of it comes to um, being the personality, being the out front person, and I was so... I was doing so much shit behind the scenes and having all that responsibility too. I might have literally had to kill Jane from accounting just to get through. But, um, my entire life 
it's one of the things that I've always thought was kind of cool is when I would call people, like I've always worked on the phone for my job and shit. And I would call people and they'd be like, Shane, we always know it's you because you know, you have a very characteristic tone to your voice. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, just, I, I can't explain it, but you do. And I met my wife, she goes, no, you have a deep voice. Not many people can pull it off that you have a deep voice. It doesn't have a squeak or anything to it. And I was like, Oh, well, cool. And when the guy called me and said, Hey, do you, do you want to do a podcast or something like that? I was like, well, you know, I've always been looking for a fucking reason to use this voice, like a way I could use it for entertainment as well. Yeah. That doesn't involve me singing. So that, that seems to work out perfectly. It's, um, I think it's like, you know, people say that the difference between digital music and, and, uh, 45s and records and shit like that is the, the low tones, the bass, you know, right. I think that it's probably the difference. And that's why people that have those, those real deep voices, they kind of get inside your head and it makes you want to pay attention. It's the Jake, the snake Roberts effect. You speak oh, yeah. low and you're very precise, so people want to lean in and go, "What the fuck is he talking about?" <laughs> it's how many it's of good. the hunters out there would be willing to drop their rifles? <laughs> I have a buddy and level the playing the field, dude. Jake the Snake was amazing when it came to promos. I'm just throwing it out there. So good, no, and that's he's known for it. And I think that people that do that, if you have a low enough tone in your voice, you could pretty much read a phone book and people would listen. I have a buddy on a show. He started reading uh, Mist. What is it in Craigslist? The missed. Oh, misconnections. Misconnections. <laughs> yeah, I've got it. a friend who did that. He would read it, and then he would turn on the fucking like a little bit of bass, and he would be like, "Yeah, <laughs> I saw you at the marketplace at the Lowe's. You were in the <laughs> in the paint section." <laughs> I, I'm gonna steal that idea from my show. I'm just saying. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so hilarious. Well, I, I don't know how many more they're gonna be doing. They're they're shutting up kind of slowing down right now so it's funny i was thinking about jagging it myself first he was doing, it's uh well there's uh, there's so many of those um if you get through craigslist it is a literal battlefield of shitty people like it is just a literal <laughs> battlefield of shitty people selling shitty stuff or you know shitty people trying to take advantage of other shitty people it is just <laughs> it, it is just a terrible terrible world it's kind of like going over to reddit um, Reddit's one of those places where if you're in the right places in Reddit, you can find great stuff. Um, but if you go to like any one of the fan communities part of Reddit, like if you have a differing opinion from those people, you can get eaten alive. I've seen people on like seeing stuff from Reddit where I'll be doing research for a show and I'm just like, God damn, these people are just brutal Vicious. and they'll tear people. They eat them. They will eat themselves. Like they, they will you, basically, they will feed someone to the crowd if it pleases them. It's one of the weirdest things. Well, it's a prime example of animalistic behavior, which is what we were talking about earlier with the sex robots. Right. It's when you're left to your own devices and there are no rules, people get real fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 people, they don't have anybody to keep them in check anymore, so it makes them very um, able-bodied to go out and do stupid shit. And that's, you know, <laughs> there's the, the really weird part was the first time um, I saw one of those shows where uh, my wife was looking at something and they talked about how chicks advertise on Craigslist and Backpage and stuff like that. And I'm like, Dude, could you imagine as a little kid if you'd have been walking around 
Um, because Craigslist basically is essentially that uh, community newspaper that you could always get from like the dry cleaners or some shit like that. And when you were a kid, you might not have think thunk anything about it or thought, yeah, thought anything about thunk. it. Well, let's go when with thunk. See, like, <laughs> yeah, when you, when you'd see like you know pictures of like pretty girls and stuff like that, you didn't think anything about it. And they had a phone number next to them, you didn't think anything about that. But now with Craigslist, you've taken the dry cleaners away where anybody can see it, and it's just way more out there. Some of that misconnection shit is ridiculous like it's i've read a few of those because um my uh my sister-in-law actually met one of her best friends through that where she was like you know hey i'm like i'm looking for somebody to just be friends with just be friends with and the, they were reading misconnection stuff at a waffle house and they're laughing at all of it and they're like halfway through oh. reading my sister-in-law's thing about trying to become you know just trying to find friends like normal everyday people to be friends with and she's like guys guys i think this is like the one normal person on the misconnection site like i think this is the only person who's literally really looking for companionship they're not looking to, to just fuck a random person that they saw at the dry cleaners the other day shane you just came up with the name of a bit that was perfect it's what's mis- that misconnections at the waffle house yeah oh yeah bro <laughs> the stories we tell Oh, God. Fucking I saw a Mexican house. dude one time lift up a ketchup bottle. This is not meant to be racist or anything like that. This is just a dude who happened to be Mexican. He was sitting there. He was eating his uh, his scattered hash browns. And he, the waitress brought him a bottle of ketchup. And I saw him take a bottle, take a bite of hash browns. And I saw him pick up the bottle of ketchup, take the top off, and take a swig of ketchup. No problem. And then he ate some hash browns. And then he took a swig of ketchup. And I'm like, what the flaming fuck is going on did no one tell him that is the wrong way to apply ketchup i've seen a full-blown fight in a waffle house with a man who sat at the bar and did not move did not bat an eye ate scrambled eggs and raisin toast while there was a full-blown like five on five fist fight happening behind him i was in the corner smoking a cigarette remember that (laughs) when you could smoke in the waffle house yeah, see, I'm a non, I'm a non-smoker, so all you fucking smokers, oh, yeah, you guys remember it. Oh, Shane, you remember when they said <laughs> smoking or non-smoking, and you go, uh, "We're all in the same fucking building, aren't we?" <laughs> like, what yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> are they in a different room? I mean, are you guys going to close the? Because there were some no, restaurants where they no. had like the smokers tucked in the back, and like there were no windows to where they were and shit like that. Like it was a, a, a terrible fraternity you were in for a little while, like right before they banned smoking inside of buildings and shit. But not the Waffle um, House, baby. <laughs> No, the Waffle House was a fucking free-for-all. I got ran over by a car at Waffle House one time. I was playing around with some of my friends and uh, jumped on uh, a friend's hood. And he was like, well, Shane, I'm not going to fucking stop. And he kept on going, and I fell off the front. And luckily, he didn't run me all the way over. But, yeah, I thought I broke both my legs. It was a good night. Misconnections at the Waffle House. I saw yeah. you. You were in corduroy pants. You played Honky Tonk Badonkadonk by Trace Atkins five times in a row. <laughs> then you ate your double decker pecan waffle. <laughs> you ate, you had all overalls and a Make America Great Again shirt. I think you got a pretty mouth. I don't care if you're my cousin or not. I was sitting there eating my grits, and I looked up and I saw a woman straight from the heavens. She opened up a can of Copenhagen Black. She put a plug right in her mouth at the bar and then spit on the ground. <laughs> I knew I was in love. <laughs> She was missing that one tooth where she could slide it right between them. Mm, I love that. Oh, man. God damn. So if you're just, show- just the, the idea, just, I mean, we're, we're from the South and all that shit, but just the idea of just the, the nastiness, like, ugh, 
Like I saw some of the nastiest shit. I, the most fucked up thing I ever saw at a Waffle House was a chick that I dated in school. Like this was a girl. Um, her name was Carrie, and I dated her in high school. And she was like this prim, proper girl. She had like an A average in all her classes and shit. She's a couple years younger than me, but you know she was straight laced girl, like going to church with her family and stuff like that. And everything was fine. And when we dated, like. She she was very prim and proper. I'll just put it that way. Like she didn't. This is high school. She didn't want to do anything above like a kiss. That was it. That was as far as she wanted to go. A couple years after high school, I'm out in the wild, you know, doing what fucking 17, 18, 19 year old kids are doing. 19 years old, I walk into the Waffle House, and there's Carrie, working at the Waffle House. And I'm like, Carrie, I thought you're gonna be a veterinarian. She was like, Nah, nah, I gave that up. Me and my girlfriend now got a trailer right down the road from here. You know, right down the road from the uh, jail, we got a trailer right over there, and that's where we're living right now. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're living in a trailer and you know you decide that you're gonna get a girlfriend and move into a trailer, that's fine if you're at that stage of your life. But this girl had gone from the prim and proper girl who was just looking to do the right thing to literally white trash in the course of a couple of years. And she was not just on the struggle trying to come up. She was literally just living the white trash lifestyle because apparently she'd gotten out from the watchful eye of her parents. It was super fucked up to watch a transformation happen like that. And because I hadn't been privy to the whole two years in between or three years in between that I'd seen her, it was completely a shock to the system. You just go, oh, what happened to you, girl? (laughs) You hit a hard road. Damn. Somewhere in somewhere in the uh the, the ethos of things you took a left and you just kept on going. Man, I hear you talk about some of the stuff uh on your show and uh it hits home. You were talking about I guess living in your trailer. I guess y'all had moved and you didn't have water for some months. Oh yeah. Uh same Actually thing. we did not for months. We uh we moved it from uh a trailer park out to an actual just lot that we had bought and we had to run our own plumbing. So we lived without water for a week and then we lived for about two and a half months without hot water at one point. Same thing. Um, we were in a park for 12 years and then we moved it. Um, had some rough movings too. Like we didn't even take all the shit out of it. We just left it. And, uh, the people that we paid were kind of sleazy. So they moved it halfway and then left it on the side of the freeway for a week then they moved it the rest of the way and got it about a half a mile from the house on like a, a two-lane gravel road and uh, broke the tongue off the trailer and left it there. And then we had to haul it in with a bulldozer. And we did the same thing. We had to cut a, a plot. We went in with chainsaws and shit and cut trees. And it was a lot of hard fucking work that went into getting that trailer out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I was watching a comedy special recently, and he said that he went to a standalone trailer. And he said, you know, pretty much the craziest fucking place you ever want to be. And I was like, uh-huh. When you, you yeah. said a oh, trailer so bad that the motherfuckers in the park said, you can't stay here, bro. <laughs> and that dude, was us. Uh, that dude, was dude, anybody who's fucking woods. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's funny to see the parallel living. Cause I know Any, anybody I who's you. lived in one knows that if you've lived in a trailer, you know, there's a stigma that's attached to it. And as I said, not everybody who lives in a trailer park. I mean, I've been to some nice trailer parks. There's really nice ones out there where it's literally just a neighborhood where you just drive through and the, the houses happen to be portable and, mo- and mobile. Then again, the trailer park we lived in, they had literally come in and cut a path where they just basically bulldozed all the trees around the corner, like around this big circle, left a shitload of trees right in the middle of this big ass circle. But they had just cut 
plots and then just said, hey, you can buy this if you want. No city water. You got to run your own septic and all that shit. Dude, it, it was one of the worst experiences in the fucking world. Like, my, we had to uh, steal water at one point. We were so fucking poor. Yeah. Like, mom and dad were, uh, <laughs> were like, hey, um, we happen to know that the, the people across the way right there, they left. They're going to be out of town for a week. Why don't you go over there and use your outside spigot and go ahead and grab us some water? Now, we had gas inside the trailer, so I could grab a big-ass five-gallon bucket worth of water, bring it back home. Then we could warm the water up on the stove, pour that in the bathtub, and take a bath with like two inches worth of bath water. And that five-gallon bucket, maybe two five-gallon buckets, was enough to get four people through a bath. See, I'm man, I'm, I'm right on the level with you. Say we moved, uh, I guess, around April, so it was springtime. And uh, we would just load about 51-gallon milk jugs we had a few five gallon buckets and like one 10 15 gallon tank that we would just go to people's houses like friends family we'd be like hey can we uh, borrow your water hose for a minute and then we'd fill that shit up and go back to the house and unload it and that's what we did for a, i don't know about six months we, it was the beginning of winter time i remember that because we used to take baths in the creek like there was a place down the road we could go swim and you just jump off in this pond with fucking shampoo and wash your ass and uh, then go back. Uh, we finally and got feel gro- and feel gross because you just you know washed in a pond. You'd have to you'd have to wash the shit off you when you got home. And uh, when it got close to winter time, we did the same thing you said. We would boil water, and then we had like a wash tub that we would put at the ass end of a pickup truck. So you put your hot water, you pour it into a big bucket with some cold water, and make like warm water you stand in the bucket at the ass end of the pickup and then you just take it like a pan at a time pour the shit over you and you wash and then you rinse and you pour that fucking water out <laughs> yeah no see with with us what we would do is you'd get the fucking the two inches worth of bath water and you'd have to wash your ass and your hair in that fucking uh, two inches worth of bath water and you make sure you get your hair first because you don't want to wash your hair with the ass water you don't that's not what you're looking to do <laughs> always walk um, down bro always start at the top <laughs> it's like exactly <laughs> but i mean there was there was those times there were the times that um we had an entire week of our life where we lived on potatoes stewed potatoes baked potatoes fried potatoes uh, gratin potatoes. I mean, we had potatoes. You know, and I keep bringing up like the five or six different ways every time I talk about this that we did them. But literally, we had potatoes. We had some butter and some salt and pepper. So we didn't have like any uh, gratin or any shit like that. Nope. Literally, if we couldn't do it with the butter and the salt and pepper that we had, then we couldn't have it that way. So my dad tried to find tons of different ways that we could make up to, to eat potatoes and shit like that. But we were just simply put we were poor as fucking dog shit my parents did the same thing you just talked about where we had lived in this trailer park in the middle of douglasville which is a shit part of uh, georgia and at the time we moved out to villa rica which back then it was so remote the downtown area literally had one street light and there was an a pizza hut and a hardy's right when you got off the exit and then once you got into town it was all like mom and pop restaurants there was no mcdonald's there was no burger king there was no domino's Nothing besides that one Pizza Hut and that one Hardee's right when you got off the exit. It used to take us um, like 10 minutes worth of driving just to get to the main road 
from our trailer park. And our parents moved us out to this fucking place. We lived in Cobb County schools and Douglas County schools our entire lives, which when I say Cobb and Douglas, obviously you don't know what those are, but those are a little bit more settled areas. There are you know, a lot more people there, so there were more kids going on. Then we moved out to Villarica where it's so fucking wide and varied and like it was so weird to go to because in Villarica it was kindergarten through fourth grade was elementary school. Then fifth through eighth grade was middle school or excuse me, fifth through seventh was middle school and then eighth through twelfth was high school. So I was in eighth grade when I moved or when I moved from Villarica back to Cobb County and I went from being in high school to now being in middle school. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? So it was just this super weird thing to go from settled area to not settled area, then move back to settled areas. And you're like a stranger in a strange land. Suddenly like, uh, I've gotten used to living in the country with like country people and stuff. What are you guys doing? It's, it's so stupid. It's almost the exact same story. It's 12 years in a trailer park in like the edge of a city. So, that was the rough time that was food stamps you know that kind of shit just hard living at 12 we moved to bb which is about 45 minutes from where we were but 10 miles outside of the closest town and it was tough man <laughs> like, there's nobody out there like you just you're alone a lot in the middle of nowhere <laughs> well, the only the only difference between our stories is you guys seem to move to like where there was nothing. We moved to an yeah. area where it was. Well, and so I'm I'm sorry. What I I got off subject. What I meant was move there, go to school there for two years, and then go back to going to school and living where I was before. So that was the deal. Is I lived among you know crazy out in the woods people and just lonely by myself thrown right. right back into the mix with these fucking animals <laughs> these kids that i went to school with and it was just i've had some crazy experiences dog oh i can only imagine i mean my <laughs> my little brother we lived in an area where like there was so many little kids little boys especially that we played with but all of them my brother um was younger than me so he always talked a lot of shit and at one point uh he got in a fight with one of the kids from our neighborhood and it was this kid who lived like three trailers down from us. And um, that kid decided the next time he saw Steven that he was going to bring his brothers and a couple more friends. So there's like six or seven kids that are like two or three years older than my little brother. Now, my little brother is six years younger than me. And he's been telling all of them, my brother's going to whoop your ass if you guys mess with me. My brother's going to whoop your ass. Well, they caught him without anybody else around him. So they surround him. So when they're putting up trailers, uh, you know the little white lines that they use, the little railroad spikes, and they drive them into the ground, and then they use a little white twine to mark off the property lines and shit like that? Yes. <laughs> well, um, my brother picked one of those up where there was a railroad tie or a railroad spike at the very end of it, and he picks up the twine, and he starts spinning it. And at one point, he lets it go. And when he lets it go, it flew, and it impaled a kid right in his eye. Oh, shit. My dad, or excuse me, my brother runs the fuck off, runs back to our trailer three doors down where everybody's surrounding this kid, like losing their mind going, oh my God, oh my God, he's going to die. And um, my brother goes back in the house, didn't tell anybody what's going on or anything like that for a couple seconds till my dad finds him. He's like, what, what the fuck happened? My, explains everything to my dad. A couple weeks later, that kid shows up at our house with his parents. They knock on our back door. And when we open the back door, they come in. They go, "We just want you to show. We just want to show you what your son did to our son. Go ahead and show him, Travis." And Travis reaches down and goes, and pops out his uh, glass eye. 
where that kid has got one eye for the rest of his life because he decided to test my brother in the middle of the trailer park and he ended up with a railroad spike in the other eye. And I tell my brother all the time, I'm like, have you seen that movie, Billy Madison, <laughs> where Steve Buscemi's got the list of people that he's, he's writing off with lipstick and shit like that? Yeah. That's you. He's on, you're on that list, dude. He is fucking, he is polishing a rifle right now. He probably has already driven by your house more than once. He's just waiting for the right time. Oh, man. I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> that's just one of the stories dude that from the fucking trailer park I've, we've got so many my mom threw my dad into a fucking uh you know how the trailer doors are like those metal doors where they're kind of there's nothing in between them it's just two pieces of basically sheet metal with like styrofoam. some insulation in between them yeah they're styrofoam exactly well my dad is like five foot seven and he's a wiry little dude and my mom is five foot eight and she is not, she grew up with brothers. So she's absolutely not afraid to fucking tussle if it comes down to it. Not to be trifled with. Well, my mom with. and dad, huh? <laughs> she's not to be trifled with. Oh, no. No, no, no. No. I'm six foot three, and my mom is not afraid to bow up on me if she needs to. But my dad had gotten into some sort of an altercation with my mom. They were like arguing or fighting about something. My dad was getting really, really heated, and she pushed my dad into a, the bedroom closet in their main bedroom on one of those trailer doors in their bed because the fucking master bedroom in a single wide trailer is so fucking tiny. She was able to sit her uh, butt on the bed and put both of her feet up on the closet door. And my dad is banging on the closet door, like, let me the fuck out of here, darling. Let me the fuck out of here. And he is losing his fucking shit. But my mom has him trapped in a closet in the trailer with her feet sitting up on the trailer door. That's just one of the normal things that happened in my house. That's so crazy, dude. I told my mom the other day, I remember one of my earliest memories was my grandma knocking my grandpa out in the kitchen. I remember it very well, too. Like, he just, same, you know, beating on the back door, you know, and he finally made his way inside, and she was like, you're drunk, you need to get on. Now, let me just clarify, my grandma's not a great person either. This was just the the lesser of two evils that night. (laughs) Right. He came in hammered and all that shit. She wanted him out. He wouldn't listen. I'm pretty sure he mushed her against the washing machine because you know you come in the back door of a trailer and the washing right. machine's right there so mushed her into the thing came past the kitchen sink towards me i'm in the kitchen in my high chair so i i, I had to have been a baby you know like at least three four years old maybe and she came like foreman <laughs> my grandma was a big woman she fucking came <laughs> in hot with an overhand roy nelson right and fucking laid his ass out right there in the kitchen remember it very well that's what I tell. It's strange, and I wonder if you have the same thing. Like my memories, when people describe things and they tell stories, I I hear them and I can imagine their stories in my head. I think I have like a projective memory, if that's a thing. Like I see memories right. like movies, clear as day. You know, and right. it's weird to now that to to actually explain to somebody no i can roll that back in my head all i have to do is go let's go to fourth of july 2001 you know if it's an impactful memory if there was a fist fight if there was some crazy shit that happened like i remember everything see i don't i can't i don't have a recall like that but i have the ability to sit down and like consider the 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 memory and shit like that and i can recall the emotions and shit and that's what allows me to go back to it could you do it when you were younger, you think? Because I've always wondered, as the older you get, do you have to make room for more memories? And so you end up, like, chopping even more 
out, you know? I, yes and no. I think my memory was better when I was younger, but I think it's just because I didn't have as much shit to pay attention to. Yeah. As an adult now, I mean, I have to pay attention to when the mortgage gets paid. I have to pay attention to when the light bill gets paid. I have to pay attention to the cable bill. I mean, just as much as I do all the shit for the, for the uh, podcast and shit like that, when it comes to running the bills, I am just as anal retentive when it comes to that. And because I've added stuff to my day and added stuff to my life, like sometimes, you know, if something slips through the cracks, then it's like, oh shit, we got to reevaluate the process and make sure we stay on top of this shit and do this and do that. Right. So I think, I think honestly, the responsibility of the older I've gotten has pushed some of the thoughts out. Like now, I mean, I'm having to study, like I just took a job in sales um, because my boss at work and stuff like that, my wife had been telling me for years to get into sales and stuff. And I was just like, oh, I don't know if I want to do it. I don't know if I want to do it. And finally I took the plunge. And now, you know, similar to what I did when I started in podcasting, I'm trying to read everything I can. I'm trying to learn as much as I can. I'm trying to, to get more into the psyche of it. And I think the more stuff you do like that, I think you, you still have those memories. And that's why I want to sit down and record with my, my family and stuff like that, because I still have the memories that are in my head of things that we did when I was younger, but sometimes it takes someone jogging that memory and reminding me what the emotion was like that, like what, what it felt like that day, what the sun was like and stuff like that. There's those memories are still in there. I believe, I just believe there's ways you have to bring them out. Me too. And I think that's why I do my show in all honesty. I want a, a record. It's for my kid. That's what it's really for. The ultimate, like the way down. That's exactly what mine is. The way down underneath underlying thing is, one day my son will be able to hear me and that makes me so happy like i've got 40 something hours of me speaking and if i had that from somebody you know like somebody that i really cared about which isn't a lot of people if i would have had that ability i think i would have cared about that a lot like that would have been something really awesome to have like of my uncle who passed away you know when he was 50 something maybe not speaking directly to me, but just to hear what kind of a person he, it's like a, a video, like a movie, you know, when you watch a home movie, it sucks because, right. and that's why home videos, I think are the hardest ones to watch of people that you love that are gone, you know, cause it's, it's actually seeing them, watching them moving, being them doing their thing. And so I think having audio is pretty cool too. Cause now you have that, that record, you know, well, I tell my son that all the time. I'm like, you have something that, you know, I've never been able to have, which is a legitimate historical record of my life to be able to show your grandkids. You know, if something happens but or show your kids, you know, if something happens in between here and, you know, the end of time and shit like that, like if, I, if something happens between here and you having kids and I were to pass away in some way, you have all this record yeah. of what happened. You have all this record of my life about my life and shit like that and you can at least paint a picture for the grandkids of like what my life was like growing up so that you can see or so that they can see like who i was like it won't just be because for me they tell me stuff about my grandfather being a baptist minister or a pentecostal minister and i got to hear some of the tapes of him preaching and stuff like that but i never saw him preach and i don't have the records now i don't have the uh the real to real tapes anymore so i can't listen to him anymore but if my if I would have had that, if I'd have had my grandfather sitting down and telling me what it was like during World War II, my grandmother telling me what it was like during the Depression and shit like that, like I would still listen to that shit today. Right. You know, I would I would go back and listen to that shit just to hear what it was like. And that's why I want to go back and record with as many people as I can because I've got plenty of family members that lived through the civil rights revolution. I've got plenty of fam- family members that remember what it was like when the Challenger exploded, when we invaded Iraq and shit like that, and what their life was like when that shit was going on. That's kind of what I want to get from them. And obviously the stories, I mean, 
there's plenty of stories of, you know, shit my grandfather did and shit my grandmother did that I want to get into as well. But it's just some of the historical things that they've done through their lives. Yeah. Man, I appreciate it. That's, uh, I think that me and you were kind of on the same path as far as why it's happening. And I got to tip my hat to you, sir. I think you're doing a good job and I could only hope to do half as good. Um, Speaking of the the family legacy, I think my baby boy is up, and I think he's bouncing around the house now. So I'm about to have to put on my armor, my my suit, and get out here and get to tussling with this two year old. <laughs> I understand completely, man. Well, have a great day. It was great being on. And uh, if anybody listening to your uh, podcast wants to find us, uh, we're at nowthatimolder.com. You can also find us iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, pretty much everywhere. If you look up Now That I'm Older podcast, we're going to be there. Um, there's this one song by some guy, I want to say he's from South Africa, that's called Now That I'm Older, that I'm still trying to surpass him when it comes to Google Records. So <laughs> just put in Now That I'm Older podcast, and you'll find us pretty much everywhere. I love it, man. It's been a pleasure getting to speak with you, Shane. And, you as well, Jody. Uh, you guys, be sure to check him out now that I'm older. It's a wonderful show. And uh, I hope you enjoy your Sunday. Uh, yeah, man, i got an open-door policy. If you ever want to come back, man, just hit me up. I'd love to have you back, brother. All right, no problem, man. i got to go find out what the fuck these dogs are barking at real quick, too. So <laughs> enjoy your son. I'll go enjoy my dogs, and let's have a good Sunday. Take it easy, buddy. All right, everybody. That was my episode with Mr. Shane Smith. And would ask that all of you show a little love, give a little listen, go and check out his show now that I'm older. Just a really nice guy, man. And I enjoy talking with him. And I wish him the best. Keep on keeping on and putting out the, the good content, man. Oh, shit. It's been a long weekend already, guys. I gotta work next weekend. That's gonna fucking suck. One Saturday a month. It seems like too much to me. I hate working on Saturdays. Taking away my weekend time. That's some bullshit. Hmm. Whatever. At least it's a... I, I, I think it's overtime for anybody that has to do it. So I guess that's the only upside is at least you get paid a little more but it's still like half a day on Saturday. Whatever. Just, nobody gives a shit. Guys, been watching some good shit on TV. That a baby is fucking in full force right now. Bless his heart. <laughs> He's going crazy. We, uh, we've been watching the Olympics. It's a lot of fun. The Olympics are cool. Don't get me wrong. I think it's impressive to see what some of these people do. But the Paralympics, that's where the money's at. I don't know if you guys have been privy to that, but I stumbled, a pro- stumbled, a pros- stumbled across them last, last Winter Olympics, the Sochi Olympics, I guess. So basically, it's about five or six different categories of the Olympics that people with like severe disabilities do. People that only have one leg. Some people that have got no legs at all. You know, they play, like, hockey on sled, sled hockey. So it's like a half a person on a fucking ice skate, and they just roll around. Dude, it is it's it is life-changing. I won't even respect people that do anything, ski jump, fuck all that shit. When you see a motherfucker with one leg going down an ice slope 
with with arm skis and he's steering himself and they wipe out just as hard as the other assholes you go you know what fuck all these these real olympians this is some bullshit <laughs> like, there are people out here sans legs and arms trying to do the same shit they should get way more press than they do so you guys be sure to check out the paralympics i think it's like two or three weeks after the regular olympics it's gonna be awesome man we started watching that show shameless i've only gotten one episode in it's an hour long holy fuck man it's funny though everything i saw in there was relatable you know as you just heard from most of this episode with me and shane like grimy ghetto living is is an addiction man it's something that a lot of times people can't shake and to be a person who's grown now and still have tendencies and habits and shit that you like to do or music you like to listen to or or food you like to eat that people just go like what it's it's funny to me just some habits that just never go away it's from being poor man (laughs) i don't know anyway I gotta get out here and take care of the kid. Guys, it's been a pleasure having you all uh, follow me and listen. It's been almost a year now, and, and I'm just excited to have got to stick to something this long. And I uh, appreciate, appreciate, I really appreciate the fact that you guys take time to listen, and I love you for it. And uh, also, I've been doing another show. Uh, I don't promote it as much, and it's because I always forget. That's what happens when you sit here and stare at the wall. You forget your train of thought. Uh, Check out God Shaped Mommy Hole 2.0 with Tony Rager. Every Saturday we try to get together. Uh, We didn't make it yesterday, but I think they did put up a new episode, so that's good. Uh, Yeah, we're spreading love. It's podcast month. I'm going to try to get another podcast on next week, so we're going to keep spreading the word and telling our friends leave reviews do all that shit but uh no you didn't my phone rang shame on me jesus christ this is a shit show guys i'm gonna get out of here uh have a good weekend and uh salute to you mr shane smith you keep on keeping on now that i'm older podcast is a wrap y'all This is a song I wrote about my father, Donald Mahan Coe Jr. My daddy passed away on August the 9th, seven years ago. This is a song about my father. Well, the old man was covered with tattoos and scars. He got some in prison and others in bars. And the rest he got working on old junk cars in the daytime. Now they look like tombstones in our yard And I never seen him when he wasn't tired and mean Well he sold used parts to make ends meet Covered with grease from his head to his feet Cussing the sweat and the Texas heat and mosquitoes And the neighbors said we lived like hicks But they brung their cars for my pa to fix anyhow well, he was veteran proud, tried and true. He fought till his heart was black and blue. And I don't know how 
he made it through the hard times. He bought our house on a GI Bill, but it wasn't worth all he had to kill to get it. He drank pearl in a can, Jack Daniels Black, chewed tobacco from a mail pouch sack, and he had an old dog that was trained to attack sometimes. Why he get drunk and mean as a rattlesnake, and there wasn't too much that he would take from a stranger. There was thirteen kids and a bunch of dogs, a house full of chickens and a yard full of hogs. I spent the summertime cutting up logs for the winter, trying like the devil to find the Lord, working like a slave for my room and board. Coal burn stoves, no natural gas, and if that ain't country, I'll kiss your ass. If that ain't country, it'll hear live the Pope. If that ain't country, it's a damn good joke. I've been on the Grand Old Opry, and I know Johnny Cash. I kiss your ass. Well, my mama sold eggs at a grocery store, and my oldest sister was a first-rate whore. My daddy said she couldn't come home anymore, and he meant it. Now, mama, she was old, far beyond her time, and her hair was gray, and I've seen her crying. She was talking about Junior, said he was dying in prison. Why she told all the neighbors he was off to the war. He was fighting for courage. He was good to the core, and she was proud. Now our house was a graveyard for automobiles, and around the porch was a bunch of old wheels and some used Harley Davidson parts that we sold for cash. There was fifty holes and an old tin roof. Me and my family was living proof. Everybody called me old poor white trash, and if that ain't country, I'll kiss your ass. If that ain't country, it'll hear lip the Pope. If that ain't country, it's a damn good joke. I've been on the Grand Old Opry, and I know Johnny Cash. I kiss your ass And I'm dreaming tonight of my blue eyes Concerning the great speckled bird 